Hey, this is Deconversion Therapy, and I'm solo. Your dearest Bonnie isn't here. She's in South Florida making out with Ron DeSantis, like probably. Um, but I have someone else, and I'm really excited that my like parasocial friend Teddy Hose is here. Hey, Teddy. Hello. Nice to um, meet you for the first time uh, via video. Yeah. Yeah. We've sort of been connected to each other for a few years and you have just like this calm demeanor and then every once in a while you come out with just like and then my past was and I'm like wow that's crazy so we're (laughs) gonna get into your life and sort of what you're doing now um we are recording this during the writer's strike there is something that will be on Netflix that includes you and And so we're not going to really get into what is in the show, but we're going to talk about your life and power to the people there. Hopefully I did it right. And we're really relaxed. So, you know, you can cuss, you can, you can cry. Oh, what if I get Teddy (laughs) to cry? Squeeze some tears out of me. That's right. So tell me a little bit, first of all, like, where do you live? What are you doing these days? And then we'll backtrack. Okay, so I am in Brooklyn. Um, I let's see, how can I say this? Um, like every it's, it seems like every other decade I moved back to New York. I don't know, I guess oh. mm-hmm. probably here to stay this time, I hope. Um, but I went to school here uh, for animation and now I uh, work editing videos and doing motion graphics uh, for an ad agency. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I moved back here from San Francisco. Uh, I lived there through the 2010s. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I like working with the entertainment industry as toxic as it can be sometimes. <laughs> Thinking yeah. ad agency is it's like there are clients that I don't work directly like under them. I, there's like a little bit of a barrier. But anyway, um, it's fun. Yeah. Storytelling is something I love to do. I'm a writer and an artist. So it's something that I really like working with, like working on a timeline with videos and getting the timing right. And, you know, so that, so what I do with talking about cults and stuff is very much kind of like my art too. So like, Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I guess, I don't know how we connected, but I have a feeling it was maybe just through social media before I saw you on, is it cults and extreme beliefs? show is that right. the name of it yeah and on A&E what is the woman's name Vargas uh Elizabeth Vargas yes I just couldn't remember because she does my true crime too so I like that yeah. um so tell me a bit about your background it's okay just like everyone's y'all just it's gonna be so boring <laughs> this one is a, I should have like a box to answer for this but oh okay don't go on a tangent all right here we go and you're um, allowed to. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Wait, sorry. Before I go into this, how much time do we have? Forever. Okay. For, yes. I trust your editing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I was I was born in Washington, D.C., actually. Uh, that's where my dad was a pastor for the Unification Church, which is, you know, uh, pop culture knows them as the Moonies because it's run by the Moon family from Korea which the father believed himself to be the second coming of Jesus. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so I'm sure people might be familiar with that. 
And uh, then I, yeah, I grew up mostly in New York. Actually, my parents were early members in the American chapter of the Unification Church because it's originally from Korea. And um, I, yeah, so I grew up into from the time I was maybe about three to like maybe 13. Uh, I lived near the Moon family in Terrytown, New York, which is where their estate is. And we actually lived on one of their estates because uh, my family was kind of, kind of higher up the hierarchy not at, not at the top but like mm-hmm. high enough to get like a good house and you know live near the moon so my parents were um uh they worked for something called the world mission department they were missionaries basically and they, you know they would go around the world uh kind of you're familiar with the routine it's kind of like oh the missionaries go to the poor countries because yeah. we want to spread god's word and it's like yeah and you want something out of it too <laughs> right, right but from them so um Anyway, but uh, yeah, my my dad uh, worked with my mom. Actually, they started in San Francisco and then, yeah, they started a family and they were assigned to the East Coast. They basically moved wherever the Unification Church needed them to go. I mean, you know, with cults, it's like you're like your your most major life decisions are made by the cults usually. So, um, you know, it's all or nothing. So. Anyway, uh, growing up in New York, yeah, it was, we, we lived near the Moon family and they're pretty much, I describe them as like a mafia family, like really into guns. Uh, Sun Young Moon's uh, first company was like a gun company. Hmm. He was like, we need to sell so many guns in America, which is why I believe he actually is a major player in the uh, half a billion guns now in the US. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, this this church I grew up in, I, I got to go to public school. So it was kind of like Scientology where like, mm-hmm. they want us to like gel and dissolve and mingle. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then like, you know, talk to celebrity or, or try to get celebrities to endorse them and be like, Hey, we're, we're cool. We get it. You know, we're not old school and whatever, but no, it's, it's, it's basically a super traditional patriarchal far right conservative cult. Um, Moon is very political. Uh, he's, you know, shook hands with Nixon, Reagan, the Bushes. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Karen's managing her dog. FYI. Anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah. That's so, right. I, but um, how did your dad get into it? Like how, how did even that happen that he got into the Moonies? Um, my dad is, uh, you know, I, I remember like some years ago, I, I wanted to do some like writing on, on the Unification Church. So it's the first time I got mm-hmm. to know my parents uh, before, like before they joined the Unification Church. The first, yeah, because like you're only getting one, the cult version of your parents usually, at least right. for me in the cult. So, um, and he told me that he was basically a foster child from the time he was like oh, okay. maybe born until he was like nine or 10. Um, yeah, I think his, his mom, um, was, had some psychological issues Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of divorces and stuff, but, um, anyway, so yeah, he, he, he had moved to San Francisco. He grew up in Seattle actually, and he was just going to college and, um, you know, hanging out with a bunch of hippie artists. Right. And, uh, you know, that's when a lot of people get pulled into cults. They're just entering adulthood. They don't know what's going to happen, especially on college campuses, so my mom and my dad around the same time and in the same circumstances, you know, at that age, they both joined. Yeah. And my mom's from Japan. So she was going to college in Japan. She got assigned to San Francisco and that's how mm-hmm. they met. And then, 
got an arranged marriage actually, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did they get married in one of those big mass marriage dramas that the movies do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. I, I don't know which, actually, I never found out which stadium. I guess it's just something I really don't care. To like. <laughs> right. But I guess it would be good to know for things like this. But uh, yeah, there there was one at Madison Square Garden in 1982, but they got married in like the, I think it was 69, I believe. Um, yeah. And they were, yeah. Anyway. Uh, and it, that it was, was the 60s. Funny, yeah. Like so many people wanted mm-hmm. to be part of something, quote, bigger, you know, especially with the Vietnam War and like all the hippies, like you were saying. So that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, colleges are like a breeding grounds. Um, mm-hmm. I teach at a college and it is breeding grounds for uh, pastors. They're on campus all the time, taking kids to eat, you know, all that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that interesting story, actually, a, a good friend called me like about a year ago, and she's, uh, she she doesn't often call. So I was like, hey, what's up? Uh, and she was like, oh, you got to help my sister. She's in this kind of uh, cults. Uh, it's, have you heard of Grace Point Church? Yeah, but it might be a different one. Because <laughs> they be like all, 50, they're yeah. all the same. Yeah, they all point to something. Yeah. And yeah, where's mm-hmm. that one out of? Uh, it's based in, I believe, Philadelphia. Okay. But um, she was she was my friend in the Bay Area, so mm-hmm. they have some recruiters in Berkeley, and like it's actually led, I believe, by a Korean leader. So oh. um, yeah, it's very Asian. A lot of Asian people in that church, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of similar to the Unification Church. Uh, but yeah, they have, and it's also similar. Like I started to look into it more and more and like they have a bunch of pseudo names, pseudo groups, you know, uh-huh. uh, very right. similar. They, they guilt members to like donate more and more, you know, it's, it's, it's very, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically, when she was visiting her sister in New York, uh, they, or they just hung out in New York for a while. Um, she, first of all, she got her to get away from the you know, that echo chamber for a while, which was probably a little hard, she was already starting to doubt a little, but, you know, I just talked to her and I listened and, you know, and I was just like, yup, yup, that's called blah, blah, blah. But that's, oh yeah, that's one of the eight criteria for thought reform, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're so clever at it because it's a learned technique that, Mm. yeah, you can take anyone by surprise. So you grew up you know, sort of next to in the same area as the moons, were they here or were they in Korea or did they go back and forth from there to Terrytown or what? Yeah, they were based here. I think that, yeah, their headquarters. I didn't know that. mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. In New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just, I don't know. So their kids are all, uh, I think most of them are just American. They're just Korean American. Right. And, uh, yeah, they they you know they had like music studios and like whatever they wanted motorcycles and they you know it's sad because they they wanted to be kids they like want to be cool and they're riding their motorcycles around it but they're like you know again the family from Succession cool where they're just like right cynical about life the family's horribly dysfunctional the parents are just super toxic and uh, some of the stories I heard is just well it's similar to excerpts I've heard from Mary Trump's book about the Trumps actually mm-hmm. <laughs> I made a yeah. post about that yeah yeah exactly so mm-hmm. did you grow up sort of knowing one of the 
Moon's kids. Um, I I did, I knew them as like just the people I would see like around like the church properties in Terrytown because they set up shop in a lot of kind of estates around Terrytown in Irvington, mm-hmm. New York, which is about thirty minutes north of New York City. And uh, yeah, so I got to know them enough to like know to try to keep my distance. And uh, yeah, they um, you know some of the older ones were more kind of violent and angry and. You know, if we were hanging out on a church property, one of them would like walk into the room and we'd all have to like stand up like like soldiers and like wow. just wait. And he's like, you can sit down. And then yeah, it was very militant. And we even sang military kind of theme songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, like that person, if they were angry about something, they would just give us some lecture on how we have to be better. And or like they would just kind of you know, exercise their power and, and and feel like they're charismatic and the popular one in the room. And it's like, Hey, sing a song for me. Like, literally, like this is, yeah, that was my childhood. It's like being part of this larger kind of dysfunctional family where the authority was not in my parents' hands, but in this family's hands. Yeah. So were they, I mean, they sound like hellion preacher kids that I grew up with, but did they have like real authority, the kids, or did they just have the social authority because their parents were the moons? Yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was just their name, you know? Yeah. No one, no one liked, exactly. I don't think anyone liked them. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah. they, you know, they try to be, it, well, when we were kids, we just, we had to kind of just, you know, any time spent with them was like an honor. Um, And my friend uh, Elgin, who does the Falling Out podcast about like the Moonies and a lot of Moonies stories. um, Yeah, like one of the guests talked about hanging out with uh, Justin Moon, who um, is the gun manufacturer of Car Arms, K-A-H-R, which, you know, just a lot of of far right um, thinking Mm -hmm. along with that company. But like, he like took a road trip with him to Disneyland and he, he uh, told all these stories. He's just like, what? you couldn't say anything wrong or he would just like scold you and you, everyone just has to let them do whatever they want. And right. they're just grumpy. Like, I don't know, but then they, they think they're like charismatic and everyone actually loves them. Yeah. It's kind of, it's really sad actually. Yeah. Because people are afraid to like say anything to them because of mm-hmm. their temper or they'll tell yeah. their parents or whatever it is. Yeah, it sounds like a extreme version of preacher's kids. Um, and we have a lot of those mm. who listen to that. And they know that they were hellions. So we're not telling them anything. <laughs> no. Oh, no, um, no, this is good to know. Actually, I didn't know this. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a huge yeah. correlation. And they call themselves PKs, you know, preacher's kids. And they were mm-hmm. always the wild ones. They, you know, if someone wanted drugs, they'll be like, I bet the preacher's kid has some, you know, they were always Mm. the sketchy ones. Um, Yeah, they bought a lot of cocaine with the Unification Church uh, human trafficking money. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Those those moon kids. Anyway, yeah, not all of them, but or actually, I don't know. I can't confirm that. But yeah, we just know that cocaine was always a big thing in their family. But, you know, it's the rich people's drug, right? Or poor people. Yeah, know. yeah. Depends <laughs> what decade. It depends. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what were like some things that you were allowed to do and not allowed to do as part of the faith itself? 
Okay, so the big no-no because there's arranged marriage. Um, well, I have mm-hmm. to explain this first. Uh, you know, the, the story of the fall of man, uh, like Adam and Eve sinned and they were banished. And then the rest of humanity was like fallen because of, you know, because mm-hmm. of, we started from sin. Um, so the story in the Unification Church is that um, Eve had sex with Satan and then had sex right. with Adam. Okay. And then, you mm-hmm. know, so that started the disease that, you know. And so Sun Myung Moon said he was the second coming of Jesus. Like Jesus didn't fulfill his mission. He died on the cross. He wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to have a family. Which right. you know, like, okay. And gotcha. um, yeah, he, so he's like, but, you know, if you join the Unification Church, your children born into it will be free of that original sin because I will cleanse them of it. Um, And so like, you know, that, that was the idea. So that was their way of keeping us in. Um, They're like, you can't have sex with anyone outside of the unification church. Mm -hmm. So we all had to marry each other. You know, that's, that's the idea. And it was like really stressed, like to the point where like, you know, just between friends, just between each other, we were just Mm -hmm. like, it's called falling because the fall of man. They're like, did you fall? Or like, did you hear this person fall fell? Right. And like, it was this serious topic that in like lectures, like the room would go silent. He's like, don't fall. You know what falling is, right? You know, yeah. just really, yeah, really unhealthy stuff. Yeah. It's it really does sort of parallel in this extreme way the purity culture of the evangelical church, where right. we change the verb to stumble. Did you stumble Mm. or is someone a stumbling block, you know, um, but Mm. I would assume you were always sort of, were you on pins and needles? Like, who are they going to choose for me? And when you like, you know, man, I hope it's not Darla or what, you know, I can't imagine (laughs) like how that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they basically groom you to be like, you have to be willing to accept anyone. Like, so we, yeah, you just worry like through your adolescence where you can't really do anything and Mm -hmm. you just accept worry about that. And it's just like, um, oh, you know, I, I, no matter how ugly or whatever, you know, like you have to, so I don't know, like it made it. So I think a lot of us just made friends that were girls in school, but like, that's it. And we never went beyond that. And, but some people who went a little further, just like their parents, like, it's almost like they're banished. Like, yeah, it's like a big deal. At least that was back in my day. I don't know, maybe things have loosened up a little more now or like, but um, yeah, that was like, uh, for sure, like a, a big, like, I basically, I, I feel like I have to go through adolescence, I had to make my own kind of adolescence and adulthood, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm still kind of going through it a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think that's totally natural. Like my husband and I talk about, like we grew up in that and the shame-based purity culture situation too. And so the anxiety and the shame that just is instilled in you, it sticks in your body. You know, the anxiety stays with you even as you peel away the logic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was was traumatic, you know, just like, yeah, I uh, I just, you know, I've just learned about myself over the years, just like, you know, I just take a little longer, you know, to mm-hmm. when I'm with someone and like, if I have mm-hmm. to tell them and I mean, it's, I get I'm getting better, you know, but like, just learning to be patient with myself was a skill I had to like really learn and like, yeah. you know, 
that I, it was very necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're, you're growing up with the, the hellion kids and you can't, I mean, obviously no stumbling and falling and all that. What were the services like? Did they have regular Sunday service or? Yeah, they did. Um, so there's this property called, there's a state called Belvedere in uh, mm-hmm. Terrytown, New York. And that's where we had our church services. Um, it's just this big, beautiful estate. I think, I think the Seagram's empire used to be there. Oh, so okay. yeah. Yeah. Like the headquarters. I think that's where they had meetings or something. I, I looked into it one day. Uh, but yeah, so we had our services there. Um, so every Sunday morning at five in the morning, like to symbolize, I guess, like dawn in a new week, we uh-huh. would have to do something called pledge where we would bow, do a full bow to the floor three times to like a picture of Reverend and Mrs. Moon and mm-hmm. read like a pledge of our devotion to them and then pray and stuff. And after that, uh, sometimes they would have, or I think it just every time they would have like a really early morning like sermon at like six in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, it was just, they, you know, a theme in a lot of cults is like sleep depravity. Right. Uh, yeah. The, the, a lot of cults did this and they just looked down on sleep as like weak or whatever, or like, cause they want us to like work all the time or whatever. But, um, yeah, so that, that was, that was optional. And I remember when I started to choose that, like, you know, other older Mooney kids were like, yeah, go Teddy, you know, like doing the right thing. And it's like, um, so, I mean, this is before the regular church service that I believe started at 10 AM. Okay. So like sometimes, yeah, it would be that long, like a four hour lecture. Sometimes it would be coked up, uh, Hyojin, who's like the oldest of the moon family who, Mm -hmm. who sadly died, uh, many of us believe due to, uh, a hemorrhage caused by his, uh, cocaine use mm-hmm. but um yeah he sometimes he he would just rant uh about like oh we're gonna kill satan that motherfucker and like you know it, you knew that he yeah. was just angry about his life but he turned it into like some spiritual words you wow. know to make it sound yeah it's just really sad story um and then yeah then it was just yeah regular church service uh we had like a holy song book and you know, we just kind of took old Christian hymns and I think just acquired those. Um, stuck we, the name Moon where God Oh, yeah. Was. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, it was just we said like Father or, gotcha. you know, stuff like that. But but yeah. there were, uh, so there was like the holy songs and then there were like the not as holy songs, which were just kind of like, I don't know, um, it, it, like a little less, I guess, like an appetizer. Uh, and th- these were just, yeah, th- those were the pop songs from like the hippie era that we right. yeah, changed the words. So I guess you guys did that too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing is that at least in evangelical Christianity, God is the God of creation, God of creativity. He's the one that gives us all this original stuff, but we were always borrowing from the secular world. We were always mm-hmm. taking songs yeah. And changing right. them. And if they made movies, well, we're going to make a movie. Oh, they do rap. Yeah, we're going to do some terrible rap. You know, it was never, mm-hmm. yeah, original. Um, so was it, it sounds almost a bit of a violent overtone upbringing, like the church and evangelicalism and Southern Baptists is 
very into, you know, not yelling from the pulpit too much, maybe mm-hmm. getting people roused up, but it wasn't, you know, fire and brimstone. It sounds to me like the entire family and some of the things they were into was a sort of violent, you know, situation. Yeah. Um, whenever I see any kind of reports about North Korea and the authoritarianism there, uh, Sun Myung Moon was actually born in what is now North Korea before the division. So he, I think he carried a lot of that kind of authoritarian attitude. And, um, you know, he, in his life, like he was also he was tortured in prison for, at okay. one point. Uh, at least one podcast attributed that to his like wanting to be a messiah. It's like, you know, when you're in a powerless situation and the trauma makes you like, that's usually why cult leaders become cult leaders um, or narcissists. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. But uh, yeah, so it it was kind of a thing. I, um, and I think, yeah, I had heard that he, you know, he would hit his kids. And uh, one thing I had heard, again, this is all just kind of uh, I wasn't there, but people right. who were friends with the moons have told me this, uh, that the mom of the moon family, Hak Jahan, who is supposedly this peaceful mother who took over after her husband died in 2012 um, in the Family Federation for World Peace, as, as it's called now, um, she would have her sons fight each other and like the loser, you know, just to teach them dominance. Right. And the loser got got peed on by the winner. Yeah. And like, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Very disturbing. And uh, like um, I had heard a podcast about the history of Trump um, and uh, can I mention podcast names or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think we're good. Okay. It's, it's just called cult podcast. Actually these two comedians run it. It's great. Um, And uh, the, what was it? Um, Yeah. They had talked to, so they were doing a series on the Trump family and he has like a long line of like, cowardly narcissists like yeah. all the way back to the mid 1800s <laughs> yeah. yeah so um they said that trump would actually make new cadets in military school fight each other for his entertainment so um and then i had heard also from a church property where a lot of families were living in like a compound pretty much called jacob house in Terrytown, that um the moon kids would make the kids there fight each other for their own entertainment and Right. It's sad if you can imagine like kids just like crying and throwing punches at each other like yeah. they don't want to do it. It's really disturbing. Yeah, it's very disturbing. And it's very sort of typical, like what we're seeing today and a lot of the stringent, more militant Christian nationalism, at least, is all the imagery that they take from the Bible with, you know, the sword of the Lord, the, you know, we're fighting in battle, we're putting on the breastplate. You know, the Bible, they didn't have a lot of stuff going on, but like battles. Um, and yeah. so their context, people are so desperate to like be fighters, especially little mm-hmm. men, you know, who are just, it's scary. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I i had heard as one, I forgot what article I read, but um uh, as one person put it, because there were actually a lot of missionaries who went to Korea. Like, if you notice, a lot of Korean people are Christian. <laughs> like, Christianity so, is big there. My husband mm-hmm. was born in Pusan because his parents are missionaries. Oh, wow. In South Korea. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So I don't need to explain that to you. But uh, yeah, you're some right. Some people, There's a lot. 
Yeah. Some people had said that, uh, you know, uh, Samya Moon is a is a product of the colonization there. Um, right. You know, and I, I feel like there's there's also a lot of like Indian gurus who I see in like in cult news, like who are like these like godmen, as they call them. And, um, you know, I feel like maybe that has to do with like the British colonizers or whatever. You know, it's just right. It, it, it just makes like a, uh, it raises the bar really high to like what people think they have to like innocent people, indigenous people have to like aspire to in order to like live comfortably again. And then they, and it's all or nothing. And it's like the capitalism thing, you know, and it's just, yeah. it, it's, it's this horrible cycle that needs to really be talked about more. I feel like. It does. And the like maybe genuine pride of their own culture but to raise it up to a certain standard, there's always that leaning into Western culture that has the money and the right. fame, and it has to bleed over for you to get attention, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so you're living in Terrytown, scared you're going to get married off. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. And were all your friends in the Moonies? Is it sort of hang out with them, be acquaintances with non-Moonies, but don't hang right. out with them too much? Is that how it went? Yeah, I feel like we're, I mean, <laughs> everything I say, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's like our. I know your life. Like our I know church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very similar. Um, yeah, it was like, I I just remember looking at the clock just every Friday, waiting, waiting to like, you know, have it be the weekend so I could go to my Mooney friends' houses. Cause they were like the only people I was allowed to be myself around. And, you know, at school, you know, it, it, it was, it was extra, like why I feel like very situated to be a whistleblower is because growing up near the moons, like everyone in that town knew about the moons. So like, Mm -hmm we were there, we were the Boo Radleys of like that town and like, you know, even in the news and like the eighties and stuff. So I was very paranoid of the world and uh, like, um, I was going to say, oh, so just, yeah. On top of like people finding out you're a Mooney in school, like they, they get like more defensive because they're like in close proximity with the Boo Radleys, you know, whereas I'd heard right. later, like, and even if you just cross the bridge to New Jersey, like people were a lot more, little more chill. They weren't as scared of mm-hmm. like the moons coming around on a church property. And I don't know. Uh, but so, yeah, it, it was pretty intense in like Terrytown and Irvington for sure. Wow. And so when Reverend Moon died, the mother took over. How did that go? Were people fine with it? Or are they like, oh, it's going to go downhill now or, or what? Um, I mean, some people had predicted it would be like Game of Thrones, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that toxic family, everyone wants to take the throne, you know? So right. that's exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Moon, you know, she wants to take over in this patriarchal, misogynist as hell cult. And, uh, you know, so some of the sons had issues with that. You know, one of them started, you know, what I spoke about on the A&E show, um, Sean Moon, who was someone I knew to be a particular bully. Uh, He was the one who was like making kids fight each other at church properties and stuff, whereas some of his other brothers were actually a little more lenient. But, um, yeah, he started his gun cult with like AR-15s and stuff and, you know, um, there's another guy named Preston Moon who, uh, you know, he he, he kind of took the business empire. He, mm-hmm. 
when, yeah, after Sun Moon died, I think he immediately uh, went to these businesses, the Washington Times, which is one of them, which is mm-hmm. a paper that actually it rolled into OAN, uh, behind, Herring Broadcasting and Washington Times. Uh, those two together is OAN. Like OAN is the combination of those two. I mean, they they birthed that. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, he he just showed up at that business, and you know the Moons are the largest distributor of sushi in America. Um, I did not. Oh, you didn't know that? No, yeah, it's I called don't... True World Foods. Uh, oh. Yeah, if you Google, uh, if you look up the New York Times article, the untold story of sushi in America, mm-hmm. there's a whole, it's like almost like an animated kind of like article right. about the yeah. moons and everything. Um, so yeah, uh, he just showed up to these like, you know, uh, business, these large corporations, and he used his like mafioso intimidation. He's like, sign this document now, you know, because they could do that and no one yeah. could question them. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. And we definitely want to get into and explain to people um, the, uh, now I can't remember what they're called, the rod of the Lord, the oh, son rod of Sean. Iron. Yes. Yeah, rod of iron So ministries. let's talk about Sean a little bit. So he decided he's going to start his own cult that is totally away from the Moonies. Is it, are they connected at all? Or... Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think I connected, I guess, uh, I, I imagine it might be like the show succession where everyone knows that like their empire, like they have to work together sometimes for, to mm. keep their empire going. Okay. So gotcha. that's how, that's how I imagine it. Um, but yeah, he is competing against his mother. It's him, Sean Moon and Justin Moon. They work together uh, and um, they basically, let's see, they, they they just kind of cater to like the far, far right in pop culture more. They they rub elbows with, there's a photo with Sean Moon and Don Jr. Because Don Jr. is at one of the Rod of Iron events. There's like, wow. uh, what's his name? Joey Gibson spoke at one of his events. Steve Bannon spoke at a Rod That's of Iron Ministries lovely. event. Yeah, they, he, I think he just gives them money. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so he, he's, he's more like the fringe moon, like the splinter groups more on the fringe. I mean, the whole thing's on the fringe, but I guess Mrs. Moon's better at covering it up. So she, she's like the high roller, you know, um, getting Mike Pompeo to speak at one of her events Mm -hmm. or like Donald Trump to speak at one of her events. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and they all read a script that says like the moons are wonderful people more or less. And I'm just like, this is where we are. Yeah. <laughs> this is, it is. So, Sean, if people haven't seen, is his church the one that people see pictures of where they're holding the AR 15s? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll put a picture of that on our website. And I mean, when I first saw that, I was aghast. I was like, what is happening? Right. Um, and I think they were like, it's, Sunday is the blessings of the guns. Bring yours in. I don't know what it was, but it was horrifying to just see a picture of people in the congregation holding their guns like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's actually what got me to when I saw those pictures and, you know, I just there's people who still get emails from the Unification Church who like left the church and they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, so we get 
tips about like the events and stuff happening. And so they said they were going to have yeah, this blessing. And um, I called I called local schools and news and everything in, in that town around Newfoundland, uh, Pennsylvania. And I was like, do you know this is happening? Uh, you know, I wasn't trying to stir up trouble or be like, there's going to be a mass shooting or say anything right. I didn't believe was true. Because I know him. I know Sean Moon enough to know that he I think he he wants to give like a peaceful you know, kind of vibe or something. he's doing a terrible job. Yeah. But like he he's he's really a softie. Like he's he's very fragile person. And okay. I think maybe most people could see that just by the what he, you know, clads himself with. But um yeah, uh so I know you weren't gonna do anything, but I just wanted people to know that, you know, this I think more than anything, I wanted people to just just see like these are the types of people that uh, are this, this is what they value. Like they, they're, mm-hmm. they, they're imagining this war, like many cults, like, you know, Charles Manson had the helter skelter, like, Oh, war mm-hmm. is going to happen. And uh, sh- sh- is it Waco. Shoko Asahara, the Am Shinriko guy? Yeah. He uh-huh. was like, Oh, there's a war that's going to happen. So like, this feels like that too. Like they're right. gearing up. So, um, you know, I just wanted people to know, you know, and, um, yeah, uh, I, it, yeah, I, anyway, he, he I, is, yeah. huh? I remember you being interviewed in front of it or like outside, I guess the news had shown up and asked you, and I don't know where I saw that, whether it was in a documentary or it made it to the national news or something. Um, and I, yeah, your whole message to me is just like, this is going on. You know, people need to know this is going on. And if you didn't know this one's going on, you don't know about the hundreds of others going on either. Um, right. But it's very startling to just see something like that and know that at any time they're so mm-hmm. brainwashed that they could do something absolutely terrible. Yeah, it's it's not as much the I the uh the lectures and the like I don't think Sean Moon is gonna command any kind of violent action. It's right. more that I know that there's a lot of mentally ill people who will join cults because it right. makes them feel accepted. And then, you know, maybe that gets passed on to their kids or something like that. And, you know, or you know, so uh case in point, there was a guy named Nicholas Skullstad who uh, was living in, I believe he's from Croton Harmon and in Dobbs Ferry, New York. These are both just north of New York City. He um, he was found with a kill list and he was part of this Rod of Iron wow. Ministries. Wow. And he, he had like a psychological break and he said he was Jesus or something. And mm-hmm. um, he crashed into uh, like a, a Metro North car or some kind of transportation company car and just started yelling things and he, yeah, he had a kill list and, wow. you know, he, he had the make America great again hat and he always mm-hmm. wore fatigues and he had these really trolling tweets. If you looked at his Twitter, um, I think he's still in jail. I don't know, but uh, you know, just think it's just that I, I try, I'm trying to warn people that things are going to pop like that. Or, you know, a, another perfect example is Shinzo Abe's assassination. You know, that was mm-hmm. a disgruntled, uh, disgruntled is putting it too lightly, a person whose life was terrorized by the Unification Church and his mom being convinced, you know, after she, when she was grieving from her husband's death, 
the Unification Church approached her, caught her in a vulnerable moment and just really got deep into her. And she just gave all of her money to it. And, mm. you know, he couldn't, they couldn't even afford uh, cancer treatment uh, payments uh, with right. his brother. So, you know, he just went nuts and he made his own gun to kill Shinzo Abe because Shinzo Abe uh, did have ties to the Unification Church and he did have a relationship with them that went generations before him, actually. Right. And that's, I mean, I think of January 6th, you get enough people who happen to have uh, anger issues, uh, something loose up there, and it doesn't matter if someone directly says something, doesn't say it, you get a group mentality of fear and anger, and it just goes wild. Now, those, Sean's church, fringe breakoff church, are they the ones that have bought land in Texas and Tennessee? Yes. Yeah, they have. Okay. Um, they bought land in, in Tennessee. So I don't I don't know what they were doing in Texas. I think they go wherever the gun laws are looser and where they I, can find like far yeah. right allies. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, in Tennessee, they bought this like this land. I think there's like a mountain there or some mm-hmm. kind of hill. Uh, so in the mainstream unification church run by his mom, Akchahan Moon, um, there's uh, there's a healing center on a mountain called Chungpyeong in right. Korea. And they have this ritual. It's it's another like what the what the fuck thing in the unification mm-hmm. church. They have ritual beatings or just you slap yourself and you slap other people to to rid yourself of microscopic evil spirits in your body. Like that's the idea. It's like if you have even if you have like mental illness, like if you have a child who's mentally challenged, they will get slapped and they believe that this is better than going to a hospital or going to psychiatric care. So Mm -hmm. like um. Yeah. So Sean Moon, like I just I remember catching a video when my fellow activist sent me and at, at some point in the video, he's like, you know, we have a mountain, blah, blah, blah. It's bigger than the one in Chungpyong. And we're going to do it. And, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to slap harder and more. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that. Yeah. And it's interesting because like I found out um, I brought this up in other interviews before. Um, Scientology has something called body thetans. Mm-hmm. where they believe you have tiny microscopic aliens in your body that you have to get rid of. And so like, I was like, wait, that sounds exactly like the Chungpeng philosophy of like little tiny evil spirits. You got to slap out of your body. I'm like, oh, I guess they just like, you know, they learn from each other what makes, they what do. brings in the cash. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They figure out what people are susceptible to and say, this worked there. So you're in this gun well, you didn't have too many guns uh, just in the regular moons, I guess. But you're growing up, you're living, you're slapping yourself, you're, you know, all this fun. Luckily, that yeah. only happens there. It wasn't everywhere. Oh, you yeah. have to go to the mountain. Oh, yeah, special occasion God. slapping. All right. So, <laughs> and believe me, I get I, it's when you get on the outside of things and you look back at like what you did and thought is normal. It is so baffling. Um, And that's how I ended up actually getting out of Christianity as being a missionary and trying to look at the Bible with an outsider's view and started going, what? Um, But so 
tell me how you began to work your way out of it, if that's a good place to to catch your story. Yeah. um, So, you know, when I was 13, we actually were told by the church to move to our father's hometown to spread the witnessing effort. And Mm -hmm. so my father's hometown is Seattle. So I uh, moved to Seattle in 1992 with my family and, you know, which was pretty cool. Cause then like grunge and alternative was big. Oh, I was like, true. sweet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was in uh, New York for the birth of MTV and then Seattle for like grunge and alternative. <laughs> like, right. cool. That's so right. You can imagine I'm a big music fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was like a perk, but <laughs> there's a lot of other things. Um, yeah. So we were told to move to our father's hometown. So we just, you know, I, my family was just kind of like, what, like, this is the only community we know and are allowed to trust. And now we're moving to like another community where, okay, there'll be church members, but anyway, um, but they were all younger than us. The, the New York families were older. So anyway, uh, that was a time where, um, we, oh, sorry, uh, before I, I go more into that, uh, I learned later that Sun Myung Moon, he, his direction to move everyone to their father's hometown was actually a way of getting his congregation to spread out because there was like a lawsuit on the horizon. Right. Okay. Everything, every major decision he's made is usually because of that. I have learned over the years. Anyway, uh, so that's a fun fact. Um, yeah. So in Seattle, like uh, my family, I think, and I learned that a lot of families actually, you know, my dad had saw how the church became more powerful and corrupt over the years. My actually both my parents, they'd worked in the higher offices and there you go. Yeah. just, yeah, in the nineties, they, without having to look over their shoulder as much near the headquarters in New York, they just kind of slowly drifted away. We mm-hmm. all just kind of drifted away. And um, I think it was really hard for us raised in it because again, it was the only community we were allowed to trust and like our parents don't know what that's like to and I tried to tell them and they just doesn't register and they think we're blaming them and you know I just don't even bring up stuff with the church that's conflicting anymore with them because there's there's it's such different lives you know the first and second generation yeah so um yeah uh we just had to kind of learn to be quote-unquote outside people and it's still something that, you know, it's like some people are, will be like, oh, you know, in so many words, can't you just get over it or, you know, just let it go. That was the past. And it's oh, like, goodness. yeah, yeah. If you're raised nope. in, yeah, right. If you're like raised and your deve- most developmental, vulnerable, formative years mm-hmm. are like planted with all this, you know, hocus pocus and like fears of the world, like, no. There's no going back to normal. It's something you have to deal with your whole life. Yeah. Right. Right. There's no going back to normal. There's entering normal slowly and, and learning just, normal. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Because your parents, they had like mental and bodily autonomy to choose to go in it. And mm-hmm. those of us born into that society, you know, especially I just think about giving up bodily autonomy even though I was too scared to do anything that would make people stumble. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you were handing over a ruling of, of everything you did to something and you didn't know how to like own it yourself. It does. It takes for fucking ever. And I hate it, but 
it's also sort of fun and freeing later. Um, when you're, so your whole family was sort of edging its way out, do you think, in Seattle? Were there any big questions like, maybe he's not Jesus? I mean, how did that leap happen mentally uh, for you all? You know, I think all of us in the uh, who grew up in the Unification Church, like, yeah, I, that that is a big that is a big moment um, because that's what everything is rooted in. So um, your whole identity, your whole community, everything that bonds you, yeah. So uh, I, you know, my two older brothers kind of drifted in their own way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then my, my oldest, older sister, she kind of took me under her wing. Cause like, you know, in the unification church, it's, it's a lot of, yeah. I mean, my mom, she had a lot of motherly instincts and, you know, she, she grew up with a good mom. Uh, so she was a good mom, but she was also, you know, at the mercy of the unification church. So she had right. to be absent for certain parts of our lives. And like, anyway, uh, so my sister kind of took me in and she, I think she felt an obligation to be like a good, the good daughter. She was the only daughter in the family. Mm -hmm. So, um, she decided to do the one year mission after high school, which is optional actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the Mormon mission thing where they go All door right. to door and, mm -hmm. um, except for us, it was mostly labor trafficking. It was like maybe 75, 80% labor trafficking where you get in a van and you sell trinkets door to door around the country, you just travel and like, this is the lifeblood of the Unification Church and all of its okay. crazy businesses. And um, yeah, uh, so she did that for a year and she convinced me to do it. And then we both did it. She feels bad about it, but I'm like, you know, no. I mean, yeah. get some distance. And it's just like, we, we had no choice. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't our fault. Uh, so yeah, uh, I did that. And after that, it was interesting because my parents, like having been away from it for so long, like by this time, maybe about 10 years, almost 10 years, um, when I came back, they saw that I was kind of more indoctrinated and, you know, mm -hmm. so I think they, they wanted to give me like, they wanted to pull the bandaid off and they're like, you know, if we just want to let you know, if you don't want to go to the arranged marriage, then you don't have to. And I don't, we don't know if Sonia Moon's the Messiah. Wow. And I was just, part of me will always be mad at them about that. Cause I'm like, wow, like that is the worst moment you could have so you could have right, been a little smoother right. yeah um it was hard it was just a lot of cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. my sister again we had both done that frontline program and we were she was like we have to save our family you know and I remember her saying that and like but we didn't really know what the answer was it was the first time our parents weren't in line with this higher authority that was the root of our whole society so yeah uh but you know just over time it just took a long time, a lot of messing up as a young adult after that and saying or doing cringy things here and there. You know, I was I was always trying to be a nice kid, but especially yeah. when it came to like girls and women, like I uh, I was, you know, um, yeah, I was just just misogynist things coming out of my mouth and stuff, you know, really thoughtless because uh, that's how Sun Myung Moon talked. He just talked about right. women like toys and that they had to be pretty and perfect Barbie dolls like for us every day. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but it's been a long road in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so eventually just the cognitive dissonance started. 
I guess, that distance away from the little headquarters gave you all a mental distance too, do you think, to start letting things sort of fall away a little bit? Yeah. So, okay. Like, um, I think, yeah, we we did kind of start to feel a little more empowered. Like my oldest brother was the only one who actually would go to the moon's estate and mm-hmm. like hang out with those kids, you know, before uh, <laughs> it took a few tries to realize. Yeah. My, I mean, one, one of them almost drowned him in a pool. She yeah. was being playful and just treated him like a toy because that's how, you know, the psychop that's how sociopathic these kids are. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, they, you know, he was like, he didn't want to go back after that. And uh, so, you know, I think he felt like he was, he had seen things and could make a better informed decision about it. So I think he was kind of leading our, you know, he was like, we should stop doing pledge service at five in the morning on Sundays, you know, bowing gotcha. to this picture. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And I remember like, we were like, so Hyojin, who was again, the, the one who passed away, who was, he has a book written about him called In the Shadow of the Moons by Nansa Kong, his ex-wife, who just talks about how he beat her and she tried to like take away his cocaine one day and stuff like that, you know, just really, really crazy mafia stuff. Um, he like he would sometimes beat up some of the kids and, you know, Preston Moon would also beat up like just whoever wasn't doing exactly what they wanted him to do or, you know, um, right. and so we, when we were in Seattle, me and my brothers would be like, Oh man, if you tried that on me, I would totally like, mm-hmm. mess him up. And it's just right. like, yeah, <laughs> 3000 miles away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that bravery comes out. And like, that's what I talk about a lot about when there is distance, some kind of physical thing. And that's, what's going on in the evangelical church now after COVID and after Trump, when people are like, I can't go back to my church anymore because they're whatever, not masking or they're, uh, you know, talking about Trump. It's that distance that does such a huge yeah. um, service to people like they can actually start thinking for themselves a little bit. Um, yeah, I think um, it was sorry before hold no. that thought. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another activist named T. Matthew Brown, mm-hmm. and I think he was in a cult. I believe it was 30 years or so, or was it 10, 30? I don't know. But he said like during the pandemic, he he had to go home. I think after like a few days or like a week, he was just totally out. Yeah. Wow. Just enough distance. But yeah. yeah, it is. So were any of your any of your family still part of the unification church? No, I you know, but I think my parents um it's a delicate situation. I think in any cult, probably the parents are going to, you know, they, they believe, they believe that it was their choice. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's more complex than that, but they, they are like, no, we own it. It was our decision and whatever. And like, I think having made that choice more or less gives them a certain pride in that choice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and they were working in the head offices of the, the cult and they, my parents happen to not everyone, but they happen to grow up very blue collar working class. Mm-hmm. So joining this like ultra wealthy cult where they worked in the this building called the New Yorker with the big sign that says New Yorker on it, like in the middle of you know downtown New York, um, was this incredible rush. And I think they have so much pride in like what they did yeah. and like, oh, we did good things and we, you know, we were going to these holy events and you know, so I think for them, 
it's it's way harder to they they I I don't think they'll even call it a cult. But right. whereas us kids are like we didn't decide, we didn't choose it. So I think mm-hmm. it was like the the decision to not be part of it was easier. But you know, again, it's not something you just walk away from and your life's normal. Like there's still a lot of strings attached. Like it was a culture that raised us. So there has to be some peace kept with that, you know, in order to like just mm-hmm. function as a person and as an adult with like more memories of childhood, you know, where you could get them. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the good things that you probably learned like we did, you know, it's not a hundred percent bad and that can be confusing at some parts when you're starting to come out of it, but later you can you know, be thankful or I am for some certain things, even if it was just, you know, keeping me safe. And I always had fun at church. Like that's something mm-hmm. I'm thankful for because I was a lonely, quiet kid. So um, I wouldn't have had any kind of uh, socialization. So um, now tell me as an adult, what is part of your mission or your activism when it comes to the Moonies and the cults? Uh, it's interesting how it's better um, an artist like at school and everything. Uh, I'm always looking for my next muse, my next subject to like focus on. And um, it's interesting. I, I was maybe 30 um, living in San Francisco at the time. I was just listening to like this uh, rotation of, of comedy excerpts on mm-hmm. iTunes at the time. And this one guy, he, he, I forgot his joke. Um, he was like, he's talking about how his father died and how he found out, like police called him. And he said, like, your, your father got in a car accident and, uh, he, he told them that he died. And then he said, his first question was, how is the car? And so like, right. that was a joke. Yeah. And so I was kind of blown away. I was like, and I wish I knew who it was. I don't know who it was, but um, I was like, wow, if that guy can bring his deepest, darkest secret, this vulnerable, painful thing on stage and turn into comedy, like, mm-hmm. what can I do? What's my deepest, darkest secret? And yeah. I'd never put that together, like to turn this into art or anything like, cause to me, it was always like, oh, it's just, yeah, it's something I, it's not interesting and you know, mm-hmm. nobody cares, but um. Yeah. So I, I decided to look into it some more and it's interesting because originally I wanted to uh, talk about it in a way like what we were just talking about, like, Oh, actually I have a lot of warm memories and there was good Mm -hmm. things. It's not like what the media says and we're not a bunch of cult zombies and stuff like that. Um, But it only took a few weeks of critical research. Like Mm -hmm. it just, you know, just turn the dial a little bit and be like, just view it critically uh, mm-hmm. to realize that absolutely everything the news had said and the, their take was completely true. Right. And yeah, everything just flipped. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you do with your spare time or whatever is mostly, um, do you write? Do you speak on this? Do you... Mm-hmm. Yeah, people I, contact you. Are you the the ex Mooney go to person? Yeah, I uh, yeah, I kind of I think I have kind of become the poster boy for ex Moonies, and yeah, I don't know how much my parents know because I just hide stuff from them on Facebook, and uh, yep. oh well, maybe that's someone how we do it. Yeah, but sometimes I think that someone's feeding them what I'm saying. But if they find out, I'm like, all right, sure, I'm just, I'm not going to show them directly, but if they right. really need to know, okay. 
but uh yeah it's more for them than for me like you know they're actually uh in QAnon now so no oh, i'm sorry yeah it's like losing it's parents i'm sorry yeah it kind of is yeah um but but they they also you know they 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 try to protect themselves from joining any other kind of group so they they don't completely immerse themselves in it they just have wacky beliefs that pop up every now and then like whack-a-mole but anyway um yeah i just i think uh i started to write i'm trying to think of the first things i did um i think probably the first thing i did the first big thing was when trump was running for president um i uh i one of my friends who's also a fellow ex Mooney activist her name's jen kiaba she's a photographer uh she um she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've I've written op-eds for uh, Huffington Post. She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, just write to Ariana Huffington and just just give yep. like a my my personal story thing. It's easy. And I was like, really? It's like, yeah. At the time, they actually wanted like as many writers as they, they could have. But then they realized they had to taper back. But so like I, I got in the door, you know, proposing my article idea. It was actually another article. But then my second article was about comparing Trump to the moons and, you know, it was a Huffington post. So I guess it kind of went around and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, yeah. And then vice called me one day and they wanted me to interview me for an article for something. And, um, my first video interview was actually an advertisement <laughs> for a video game. There is a video game called far cry five uh-huh. and, uh, there's a cult in the game and that's like, it's like a first person shooter. <laughs> wow. but yeah it's like this Jim Jones kind of cult leader guy and you have to go in and I don't know exactly the story. I I heard later that it's like, Oh, you know, they tried to make it all deep and meaningful and informative about cults, but it's actually just another shoot them up game. I'm like, Oh, well I made it sound like it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that was my first, it was with up rocks, the, uh, the media agency. So, um, yeah, uh, they, they had me in the middle of like this desert area in LA with like some scraps around it looked like you know the abandoned uh uh jim jones like um, right compound right. area yeah so i just crazy. talked about cults yeah yeah for the game yeah <laughs> but That's then yeah wild. from there actually that happened the same time as the a and e thing so it was funny i was nervous about the uprox interview and i was so focused on that that, that the a and e thing was like Oh, okay. I'll just do that after. Yeah, whatever. And like, <laughs> right, but, right. But no, I mean, when I was there, especially on the lawn of like, or right outside the gate of that, you know, gun cults, it was pretty nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. I and bet. like to, to stay at the hotel where like all these other members, there were some members scattered around the country and they all had these big, you know, boxy suitcases because that was their guns. So I was in this hotel with like all these people walking around with what I knew were guns, like these families. So yeah, it was kind of, it was pretty crazy making. <laughs> that is yeah. a little weird, but I don't it's know anything ceremony. about games. That is wild. So um, if you can tell people anything, everyone thinks they're never going to join a cult and that mm. they always will be able to spot it you know, what are things that you try and get across to people when it comes Um, to that? It's so interesting because just today, a friend of a friend wanted to take her, was thinking about having her kids join this school in California. uh, And it was like brought to you by a foundation. It it was like in the woods and Mm. there was like a guru behind it. (laughs) Yeah. 
how do I put this? Uh, but yeah, um, usually if someone is asking me about if this is a cult or whatever, like, or if, if they're already involved in it, they've been through a little bit of the initial process. Um, what I, my go-to thing I send them is the eight criteria for thought reform by Robert J. Lifton. Okay. Um, he wrote a book called thought reform and the psychology of totalism. Uh, it was about how in Mao's China, um, he brainwashed like people who went to jail there, like from other countries or even domestically. And he just, it was like this very nationalist propaganda that they were just like, you know, force fed pretty much. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so from that study and from him studying these subjects after they were released, uh, he came up with eight criteria for thought reform. And one of them's like milieu control. One of them's like dispensing of existence, uh, creating like fake miracles and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, convincing mm-hmm. everyone's true. There, there's all these like kind of consistent methods. So yeah, eight criteria for thought reform. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it, it, if there's any kind of like, just thinking that there's one character that's like really, or I don't know, I guess I, I don't have like a canned answer for this either, but I guess go with your gut is a good thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you said, like there's no canned answer actually is pretty profound because it is so subtle and um, things can become cults without people even having a leader that is purposefully doing it also. You know, it can come out of narcissism. It can come out of thinking they're doing something good in a, a you know, um, and I think that's what's so fascinating about all of it and hearing people who were in cults, grew up in cults. And of course, a lot of our listeners grew up in churches that had cultish um, personalities. You know, right. they're not cults, they're not clothes, they're not uh, all that. But everyone's beginning to see how if that leader left, Mm -hmm. either people would follow him to another church or the church would go down. Like they start to see that there are small things where they're more leader focused and belief focused and, and they could easily Mm -hmm. fall into cultish behavior themselves. I know I did which is mm. yay. But now, as you know, I think you and I might've talked about it. I want to start a cult. I'm in it for the money. I'm in it because I want one of the houses off Zillow, the Zillow. Um, so yeah, my dog doesn't want me to do it, but I'm just trying to like figure out my first foray into it. And I don't know if it's going to be faked miracles Oh, okay, so you're going to take notes. I know, I know, but we'll work on this later. You well, can, Charles I'll, Manson. I'll let yeah, you he, in on the ground level. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. What a privilege. Um, yeah, uh, and to tell me right up that it's a cult. I mean, no cult mm-hmm. does that. That is going to be the cult of it. Is that it says it's a. It's going to be an. Wow. Except for unit unicron unicron anyway there's this one person who says it's a it's a benevolent cult but anyway uh 
what was I saying? No. You would say Charles yeah. Manson. Oh, Charles Manson. Yeah. He took like classes from the guy who wrote The Road Less Traveled. <laughs> and he took notes. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly um, it. I think these days the UFO route seems to be working for some people to then. So now, since that's in the news, I'll jump on that maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, well, astrology is predicted to really ascend, <laughs> to use a word. Yeah, um, it's it's pre- predicted to become really trendy in the years to come, uh, you know. And I actually, um, it was interesting, the reasons why, because this is what I had deduced from why cults get big when they when they do. It's I think it usually has to do with the economy. It's like when there's like a wealth gap and there's, you yeah. know, inflation's rising like crazy. I mean, it's pre, pre-war Germany. Like, this yeah. is what I was afraid of. It's like, well, shoot, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm was con- uh, compared to Trump because Kaiser Wilhelm kind of set the conditions for someone like Hitler to rise up and he fucked the economy and everything. So, like, after Trump, like, uh, whoever's next, you know, could be like a Hitler guy. I mean, I'm not saying, like, you know, I don't think yeah, America never- would allow the degree well, but who like, knows thinking. that's the thing we're in yeah. this crazy slippery slope but i totally agree with you because we covered um uh, a jesus in russia uh he's in jail now shock but it was the economy it was the government it was the timing it was the fall of the ussr when people then were like oh i get to experience and explore spirituality now because it's not being repressed but i don't know how to and i'm used to a very regimented do this do don't do that that was in the old ussr and i'm looking for structure and so here comes this guy saying well i'm jesus i'll give you a structure we'll all live together i'll you know, I'll take over that part in you that's missing that needs someone to tell you what to do and offer that spirituality you were looking for. And so it was just like this perfect, yeah, perfect storm in history. And I agree. I think I am seeing a lot of things um, on TikTok, on different places that are very cult-like Mm-hmm. that are either related to spirituality or, you know, this sort of um, psychological manifestation right? business-y stuff even. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I listened to a whole podcast episode about that, about the um, kind of, or like unlicensed therapists or whatever, like the uh, the influencer therapists who... Yeah. Or not therapists or just like people who give you these life advice and people, you know, don't search their background. And, you know, there's like Teal Swan and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, they, they, they actually gave some good advice. They said something like, if you see in the comments that these people are praising this person, like, oh my God, you're the best person. Right. Ah. Like, that's like a bad sign. Like, yeah. you don't want someone who's too hocus pocus. Like the, the therapists I follow, you know, people just will tell their own stories. I, I, I don't see as much like you're the best person in the world, you know? Um, exactly. so that's what I look for now. Yeah. 
exactly. I look for people that other people don't like. Now, I do know what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm scared to even on some of those comment like this is totally wrong because you do see those comments and you know those people will come after you. And um, yeah. but we covered Teal Swan too. And yeah, it's anyone can fall into these things and there's going to be new and different ways that we hadn't thought of, new groups that we're not going to realize are groups. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully everyone can just follow their gut um, or join right. our cult. I feel that's the same. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's interesting because like, you know, cult interventionists I've learned from, they've uh, they've talked about how, like a good way to uh, counter, um, you know, let's say you have a parent in QAnon or some kind of extreme, Mm -hmm. someone close to you in some kind of extreme group um, and you feel like it's not good. uh, They say that the best thing to do is you don't want to like take away things from them. Like Mm -hmm. imagine if they're just like roots, like you want to kind of just introduce them to, um, you know, it's best not to be confrontational, like right on the nose. It's best uh-huh. to be to like take them out to a bar or a party or somewhere where they can just see that people are friendly and nice and just want to be have a good right. have a good time, get some drinks in them, and like you know, uh, yeah, just like chill out. Like that's yeah, that was actually one of the hardest things for me. Was like I thought I had all this specialness, and then I got it when I was like a an indoctrinated kid, and I was like, I'm a soldier for God kind of person. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing was just to accept that, nope, like, I'm just a guy who likes to have drinks and, like, talk about things I like in, like, pop culture exactly. or something. Like, I wasn't special anymore. Yeah. I know. So. <laughs> and I made a video about, like, that, like, because in church, even if you couldn't sing, they let you be in the choir. And even if you couldn't mm-hmm. teach, they'd say, teach Sunday school. And you were born for such a time as this, you're chosen, you're special, and you get out into the real world and you're average. Um, And it is Mm -hmm. something to deal with. And I call us the turkey bacon of the world because like we, we thought we were the real thing and we come out and we see, uh, you know, things are way different. Um, but it also does take a lot of a lot of pressure off because I was supposed to help save the world and bring it to God's kingdom. So I don't have that. Yeah. Just all that there. Um, what, I, what I've noticed is that women are more like, oh, yeah, fuck that shit. Like, they're more quick because they because it was patriarchal as hell. Like, yeah. Was shitting yeah. on women. And it was, you know, Moon and a lot of the men would take credit for a lot of the shit women made. It's like from like, you know, from biblical times, basically, mm-hmm. since they're trying, that's the book they're trying to follow. Um, and men were more like, wait, but I'm special. Uh, I think it's harder for guys. It like, really yeah. is. And <laughs> we're seeing so many of that in the the younger men and the young Christian men who are now combining that with weightlifting. It's this whole masculinity stuff but yeah yeah they're they're losing their place of hierarchy before they even get to it and i think that's a big threat um but yeah yeah i've seen the uh yeah i've seen the the like pastor bros like pumping iron on stage while preaching and stuff (laughs) it's like what like jesus didn't it didn't uh anyway 
Well, thanks for solving the world with me, Teddy. It's finally good to just chat with you face to face and um, solidify our cult and our ongoing business venture. Mm. Uh, but I really learned a lot. I didn't know that the Moonies um, were the biggest purveyors of sushi. And I'm sure there's a lot more that we didn't even get to. But mm. I'm sure Teddy probably talks about it on. Um, Netflix or A&E or places like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I don't know if you just Teddy hose Moonies. Yeah. You'll find yeah. stuff. <laughs> put in Teddy hose Moonies. You're going to find yeah. them and we'll put everything on our website and our social media and all that, but come back anytime. And thank you for doing this tonight and say, Hey to New York for me. Will do. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always cool seeing your TikTok videos and uh, no, I appreciate you put a lot of effort into it. Like, I'm like, wow, she, she does this like every day. Like anyway, uh, I appreciate it. And then I efforts. get burnout, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's great. Like, uh, and you're witty and it's like pretty chill and, and you make great points. So, and you're a teacher. <laughs> I, I actually didn't know that. Until today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't been teaching in the classroom for a while, but I still do it online and stuff like that but awesome. yeah well thank you i'm gonna go take care of the 15 year old when i dog here who is staring at the wall he doesn't know and i will talk to you soon thanks so much all right yeah great talking to you thank you so much you too bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.